Hey everyone, this is Russell Preston here. I'm so excited to share with you my discussion with Francis Charest. Before I dive into introducing Francis, uh, I wanted to kind of give a little introduction to what we're doing here uh, on really this uh, first episode. Um, so we've been, uh, our office has been essentially working from home for almost three months now due to the COVID-19 crisis. A lot of folks are having hard times right now. It's it's uh, civil unrest. Uh, there's a great dear deal of questioning about what's going on in the future. Uh, so our office kind of came together and started talking about how can we start to kind of look past this. You know, it's very difficult right now, but how can we have a conversation that thinks about rebuilding and thinks about uh, reframing. Um, really our neighborhoods, our work, uh, our country, uh, the planet, as we come out of this and emerge out of this pandemic. Uh, so I think we're, we're kind, of, kind of thinking hopefully about this and trying to make uh, these lemons we've been dealt into lemonade. Uh, so this is kind of the inaugural season of, I think, a, a series of discussions we'll probably continue to have. The reason we started this now though is, um, so Francis Saray and I were scheduled to be at the Congress for the New Urbanism, which is an annual meeting uh, between about 2,000, 2,500 um, people, planners, architects, lawyers, developers, um, marketers, uh, government folks, people really interested in thinking about cities. So uh, I've been involved, as with Francis in that organization for a long time. So when, when we saw that that meeting was going to a digital format, we thought, you know, instead of being able to have dinner the night before or, or a couple drinks uh, the evening before we were supposed to have our, our discussion at the conference, we really needed to get together face to face. So uh, we're gonna release a couple of these before CNU starts with all the folks who are involved in this discussion. So this is just one of a few. Uh, and it's really meant as a preamble to this discussion we'll have at CNU really next week, which is uh, June 10th to 13th. Uh, so we recorded this here the first week of June, um, still working from home. And uh, a bit about Francis now, you know, uh, you know, I'm really sort of glad he's the first person we decided to kind of do this with. He's an old dear friend. Um, you know, I can't wait to get a lot of other people into this discussion about rethinking um, cities and, and kind of rebuilding as we emerge from this pandemic. Uh, so I first met Francis in 2003. Um, we were both working with uh, a mentor and, and dear friend, Buff Chase, uh, working on projects in, in revitalizing Down City Providence as well as Mashpee Commons on Cape Cod. Uh, and only worked with Francis for a handful of years, but got to know him really well. And, and since then, uh, have learned so much of him over the years. Um, Francis is a person that uh, brings a great deal of passion to his work and, and really thinks about cities uh, from a fairly unique point of view. Uh, so I'm, I'm so grateful he was able to give us the time to do this. Uh, Francis is currently the, the uh, senior vice president at Connor Capital Partners. Um, he's the head of leasing, marketing, and brand management. Um, so he sees a lot of, of uh, retail centers around the country. Um, prior to joining them, he was with WS Development 
as well as spent a, uh, a decade with Simon Properties working on a handful of their malls and, and retail centers in and around New York City. Uh, so Francis, uh, you know, it's amazing when I call him or text him over the years, you know, with questions about this stuff, everything from, you know, how do you work with an independent retailer? It's their first store, uh, first restaurant. You know, what do we need to do to be good partners and good landlords and, and help them to thrive? All the way to, I have a national tenant, uh, uh, I'm right in the middle of a negotiation with them or I wanna get them into my, uh, my project, into my main street, um, what do we do? Um, so he kind of understands retail across the board from all types of businesses, all types of tenants, uh, and really looks at it holistically as uh, someone who understands how, how to do genuine placemaking. So that's what's so interesting and so uh, amazing about Francis is, um, you know, from a perspective of how do you create places that are resilient and enduring as well as connect at a human level, he's always thinking about that, whether he's talking to uh, you know, a, a big name retailer or working with an independent to get them their first store opened. So I think if you're in the real estate industry or if you're a developer yourself, you should gain a lot of insight from Francis. Um, this was kind of a, a beginning of a discussion though, so it kind of goes a little bit all over the place, but it, I hope that you can tune in uh, June 10th for the second part of this uh, as, as a portion of the Congress for the New Urbanism's virtual meeting this year. Uh, so I'll put a lot of links in the show notes. We cover a lot of stuff and, um, and hopefully uh, you uh, gain some actionable uh, thoughts and, and ways of, of moving forward in these kind of uh, incredibly strange and unprecedented times we're all living in together. Uh, so uh, with that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start us off with uh, our wide-ranging discussion with uh, Francis Shrey. Francis, it's so good to see you. Russell, how are you, my friend? I'm excellent, as, as, as one can be these days, right? Is that even a word anymore, excellent? I don't know, you know, I think uh, it's one day at a time, so yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes when I'm having a good day, I actually feel bad about feeling good. That's kind of where we are right now. That's the, that's the state we're in right now. Yeah. Did you want me to introduce myself or you just want me to run? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I are such good friends that we're just <laughs> diving in here. But no, what? So, so you know, we're, we're, we're doing CNU here next week. We're going to do a retail apocalypse se session again. Again, we've done it How before. Yes, it's the never ending story. Correct. But uh, so, so why don't you tell folks, you know, just kind of give them the, the little intro of who you are and who yeah. I am, born and raised in Woburn, Massachusetts. Yeah. Now, uh, let's see, uh, been in the retail shopping center, real estate business for going on 30 years. Um, worked for the big guys, you know, WS development out of uh, Chestnut Hill, Mass, done some pretty amazing open air lifestyle projects, Derby Street Shops, um, to name one of them. Worked for Simon Property Group, um, leading up 400, 500 million dollars worth of redevelopment work in their tier three, tier one assets in Manhattan, uh, well, Long Island and Westchester, and um, was also part of their luxury accounts group. Um, I had the, uh, distinct pleasure of working with my dear friend and mentor and all around CNU good guy, Buff Chase, 
for almost six years, um, which is where I cut my teeth. That's um, where we met. In the CNU realm, yeah. And then currently I'm um, here live from West Palm Beach, Florida, um, as the head, uh, senior vice president, head of leasing, marketing, and brand management for O'Connor Capital Partners, which is a real estate development uh, advisory firm uh, based out of Manhattan with offices here in Palm Beach, Florida. So that's where I am. So, so it's interesting. You know, you and I had had decided to do this this discussion again this year before the public heis, public health crisis started to unfold. So, right. so there was a lot of of indicators and, and questions we had about about the sustainability of all sorts of retail stuff before this, and now it's a completely new normal, as people are saying. <laughs> yes, it's a, a whole but, new world. Yeah. But uh, before we dive into that, though, you know, the CNU and New Urbanism, well, a lot of people outside of New Urbanism now talk about it as well, but placemaking. Yes. You know, that, let's start there, though. So how do you define placemaking? What do you think about? Well, first and foremost, placemaking for me is what's kept me in this business for as long as I have. It's because um, the idea of creating a great place or being part of a team that creates a great place like Down City Providence, for instance, um, is just so rewarding. So for me, placemaking means, you know, taking the collusion of commerce, uh, living, business, um, and integrating it into whether it be a public space or private space in, in an environment that feels good. Um, where there's authenticity and, you know, by materials or landscaping or whatever, it, it just feels like a place that you want to be. And, and how I got there was through the time I spent with Buff and understanding how thoughtful he was about planning Mashpee Commons, right down to the placement of the clock tower. You know, and when you really think about the the detail, the level of detail that, that he spent and put into creating that new property and how it is evocative of the great places in the world, not the same and certainly unique, but it brings back that, you know, community room feeling or depending on where you sit on the property, you're looking at a building in a way that it's beautiful. You know, so all of those things, the combination of all of those things are about placemaking. And then me in what I do in the shopping center industry or the retail real estate industry, or who knows what we'll be calling it next week. I don't know, the workout group real estate industry. Um, it's bringing, it's, it's creating change from the 70s, 80s, 90s icky mall environment to the lovely Royal Poinciana Plaza in Palm Beach, Florida, that I had the, the sheer honor and pleasure to work on. And for me, is still one of the great, I mean, it's very new, but it is one of the great shopping plazas in America because it just feels so good to be there. So, so this is interesting, this idea of American shopping centers. You know, this goes back to the, the Don't teens. use the M word. Don't use the M word. I don't like to use the M word. But Mall. the the balls, no. But the the reality is is you know walking down your main street or or getting you know going and getting a, a milkshake at the soda fountain is this kind of emblematic kind of American 
sort of Americana. And here we all are for the last better part of two months now locked at home. So how are you thinking differently about placemaking now though? <laughs> I just was like, you know, the third place, right? Who was that? Was it Richard Florida that's talked about that or was it somebody else? Uh, yeah, that's... It was, it was work and home and then the other place. And it used to be the coffee shop or the cocktail bar. And, you know, that third place has been swapped out. And I, I might be speaking to, um, you know, talking to a group of people that if I'm speaking incorrectly about who it was, but as my interpretation, I always thought like, okay, it's the home, it's work. And then where else are you going to be, right? You want to be in a place that feels good. That's the third place where you can be with your friends and you can see people. And, you know, that's what people want. They want a closeness in a big world. At least that's what I think, or at least kind of where my head's been going at doing this. Now I don't want to be in my house anymore. I'm in my house right now. I'm sick of being in my house. So that's not even the first place anymore, right? And then right. my office is now my house. So I also don't want to be at home because it's my office, right? I'm in my bedroom right now and I roll out of bed and I sit at the folding table in front of the window and I, that's my day. Yeah. You know, because I have a five-year-old downstairs with her babysitter trying to have a school environment. And then my husband upstairs in the guest bedroom having his own work environment. And all of it's now confused. I'm, I'm confused. Like I, even the park that I look at has orange mesh plastic around the playground. So my brain's confused. So for you to ask me, where is that going? I don't know. I don't know where it's going. I think this is the challenge that we're all facing right now. We all have to work together to figure out where is it going and how are we going to make it nice? And, and part of the challenge I, I've been sort of putting on the folks in our office and, and other new urbanists I've been talking to, really other urbanists, just folks who are, are working in Boston where I am now, trying to accommodate social distancing with streets, trying to accommodate you know, just the civil unrest. I mean, there's a lot of challenges right now. So for us to sort of try to say, what's this going to unravel and, and become is so hard. I think this is why we wanted to get on, uh, on, on, the, on the video chat here and talk, uh, you know, a week out before CNU to sort of say, well, what's going on now? And it could change in a week. But it, it will, it will change. It will. You know, it will. I mean, who knew we were going to be where we are today? Like, like our human society needed civil unrest on top of a pandemic. I mean, we are being tested. So who knows what it's gonna be like next week? We could be all, they could be army helicopters right outside my window right now. I don't know, yeah. I hope not. Yeah. So here's, here's a challenge, you know, this, this is, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff I know you were working on before the crisis hit. Mm -hmm. How are you, th you know, how are you thinking about those, those projects, those efforts differently now? I mean, what are the questions you're asking yourself about those those efforts and, and, and how to you know how to look for the opportunity look for uh, the assistance you can provide all the things that you know are are difficult to do in times like this but well development projects are just pause right pause everything's on pause development wise in the middle of development we have a center in Orlando Florida one of the best best, most successful areas for retail in the country and restaurants. The volumes that come out of Orlando are incredible. We have phenomenal real estate and we're about 50% built, but it's in phases. So 
we are scrambling to get whatever we can get done done and we need to lock it up and we need to figure it out and it's so hard because you have to go back to everything square one everyone's everything's no one's saying i got two leases signed since i've been doing this and one of them was alpha signature and it was a financial office and they were going to move and they wanted to move to the office no matter what. So that's why it went through. Everything else is, is up for grabs right now, Russ. Everything. Right. right. So what are the, you're going back to like those first principles, you know, if you were, if you were running a store right now or running a restaurant or running a cafe, what would you be doing to try and navigate this? I mean, you know, I have, friends, been- here. I have friends here that own restaurants. I was at his house this afternoon. Our, our kids are best friends at school and they're not open. Yeah. They have three restaurants. Uh, one of them is the best restaurant on Palm Beach Island. Um, uh, what he's doing is they, um, they morphed into takeout. They are not opening despite the fact it can open at a lesser capacity. What they did, which was wonderful, is they launched a company called Provisions, and it's been a nonprofit, and they are providing food to people that need food. And they are, you know, it's pretty altruistic what they're doing. And, you know, they're taking this moment to really focus on making sure that their business is tight so they can survive this. Now, this guy is the guy. He is low risk, like me. I'd say 90% of the restaurants out there aren't like that. And I'd say if, 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 if 60% survive, I will be surprised. Right. So our, our neighborhoods, our, our, our places where we used to go out is going to look tremendously different. Tremendously. Now, now the question is, and I think this is where the new urbanists can, can help is as we start to rebuild, cause we will, we've been through pandemics before. Right. That's who we are as a society. Right. What do we, what do we want to emerge out of this? And, and, and that's, that's a hard question to ask it's right so now. Much, it's so much opportunity for people that are community focused. I mean, really, because people get it now, you know, people get placemaking people, understand that they want to be in a place that feels good and i think you know the new urbanists have a voice around that and i think in a way that can help regular people (laughs) i say regular people because i'm a regular person i didn't go to architecture school i learned this through you guys through buff and through my interactions with douglas and all the great people i've met in the cnu andres i mean liz i mean so many great people that I learned about principles that now I bring into my work every day. So, you know, I think we're really poised to be able to uh, have a voice around change. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because a few folks have mentioned to me that, you know, there was issues before COVID, you know, and that's just, it's just accelerated those issues to a point where. Well, yeah. I mean, like someone said, uh, never, about staff they said never let a chance for a good uh you know staff cut go to waste you know now is the time if you want to trim dead fat out of your office you can do it now that's not very nice but at the same time if you take it to a larger scale across everything if you're going to make change if you can afford it 
on many levels, you should do it now, right? Like for us, uh, we have time with Alexander because she's at home, five-year-old, and no summer camps. We're not going to put her in summer camp because we're still afraid, right? It's, no one knows. I still think the virus is very material here at June 2nd. And so instead, we're going to do an hour a week with piano. So twice the amount of piano that we've been doing. We're doing doubling down on French, and we're thinking of hiring a Zoom Spanish teacher. What we're doing is we're rethinking it. We're trying to figure it out, right? We're all doing right. that. Right. We're all doing that. It's Everybody. interesting because I, I think, uh, I, you know, having had to become a teacher in this period of time, having to ha have to become a, a much more engaged father, as well as trying to run a, a business at the same time, things have slowed down, which I think is probably a recalibration of things. Now, you know, the question I've been continuing to ask is, you know, we're not going to just go back to normal. There is no, there is no normal. What is that word? There is no more normal. Uh, there is no yeah. normal. So, so for us talking you about police, retail, you hear police sirens in the back of your house. Is that normal? That's normal now, isn't it? It is. It is. Right. And as we're recording this here, you know, the the state of the country is a big question mark for me as as helicopters keep me up at night here in downtown Boston. Uh, I never so, thought we'd be here. I never thought we'd no, be here. And I don't think a lot of people did. So, so I, you know, I, when we sit down at CNU next Wednesday, it's sort of a question of, you know, what do we want that discussion to result in? You know, typically, you know, when we've done this in the past, and that's what I think is so remarkable is we've been talking about this for a number of years, yet still retail is around. It might not be good in places. It might, might be vacancies in other places. But prior to the crisis, we were all really worried about Amazon. We were worried about the mall crushing Main Street. Now the mall's not crushing Main Street anymore. I have news for you. Main Streets are more interesting than the mall. They right. are in a high position. Right. So street, high street retail, main street retail. That's what people want to be. Maybe it used to be not who knows what a month can bring. People may never want to leave their house again. People yeah. seriously may never want. Like I have a two married couple, three kids. He's a high powered lawyer. She is a senior executive has taken time off to be raise her kids. So she's, bringing her senior executive level to her kid, to her family. They haven't left the house since March 11th and they don't plan on leaving the house until there's a vaccine. Yeah. So there are so many extremes, Russ, and you have to let people live in the safety zones that they have because people are just, they don't know. So who knows if people want to go to main streets? I don't, I hope so. I hope so. I think so. I know I can't stand being in the house all the time. It's driving yeah. me crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so uh, how do new urbanists help? Because right now is a unique time in history that none of us have lived through before. So there's a skill set within this network of people. So there's a question of what do we do now? You know, how there's a question of what do we do? What do we do right, when so the, like, the vaccine is here, if it's ever here? You know, like the the things that I think are the most opportune are like the the stuff that you worked on with Mitch. You know, transforming blighted or semi blighted areas that touch robust areas. 
And, you know, whether it's because it was in Boston, but there has to be like a piece of that where these, like they just renamed Dudley Square, right? It's um, yeah. Nubian Square. I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's, you know, exquisite. And so there have to be after this opportunities, but there also has to be an expertise. You know, if you're looking at, if you look, if you're asking me the question from my point of view, like how do new urbanists help like real estate owners figure out their crap so that they don't have defunct real estate, you know, in the aftermath of all of this, you know, it's really about the best practices model and just being like showing the proof of success of the truth behind, you know, community gathering, combination of commerce and community and walkability, you know? That's why I fell in love with West Palm Beach. Who knew? I'm an urbanite. I would move to Florida and love it. Yeah, no, when, you, when you told me you were leaving Boston to go live in, in West Palm Beach, I almost, well, I did. I fell over, I think. You were like, what? No, because yeah. I told everybody I was coming back in two years and everybody believed me, including myself. And then I got down here and my husband was like, I love it here. Let's stay. And I'm like, no, that's, it's Florida. What are you talking about? Well, you have always been ahead of the curve on this stuff. And something's occurring to me over the last couple of months that as people are becoming more familiar with having to go to their local grocery store, they don't want to go far from the house, they're rediscovering what having things in close proximity means. Oh, I love it. My life is so small. I walk to the gym. I, you know, we can ride a bike wherever we want to go. It, yeah. It's just, there's, we only have one car. We're, you know, two adult men with one car. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I feel like because we moved here, whether it's here or wherever somebody chooses to live, the reason why I've decided to stay is it has allowed us to become a smaller family in terms of carbon footprint, in terms of spending, in terms of needs, because yeah. our life is more compact here. And, yeah, um, and, and you left a, a tier one, one, better, you know, one of the bigger cities in the US, subways, main streets, opera, one symphony. Market one of the best cities in the United States and certainly one to cons that people visit international so yes i love yeah. the very beautiful city that i have a lot of fond memories and i think that that you know just from seeing friends and, and colleagues who have ch changed their lives radically to accommodate uh, uh, the public health crisis and, and uh, the uncertainty of what's going on now i've seen people go from downtown new york to Ch downtown chicago down to the to the oh, exurbs or to the smaller town centers happen. You yeah. don't even, everyone's saying that the, the, the people are planning to come to Florida because of the second wave. Yeah. The rental prices have skyrocketed here. So could this, so, so this might be kind of a, uh, the let's make lemonade out of this is the second tier, the third tier, all of those cities and towns that have been working so hard to revitalize their main streets or attract talented young people like we've been doing work in Maine and it's just, you know, there's so many gorgeous little towns up there. This might be the time where people start to say, you know what, I'm going to, yeah, I want to be a five hour drive from a big city if I need to go there, but I really want to slow my life down. I want right. to get things closer. So there's an, I think that might be something that evolves out of this, just, you know, that, that I'm, I'm kind of seeing on and, you know, it could be a good thing. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the last time Suburban Sprawl happened, it was gross. So this time, this regeneration of the flight from the big city, which I think is going to happen, which, you know, I really feel like people are going to say, you know what, I don't want to risk being locked down in a big city ever again. And right. you know what? I don't know if I want to be around this many people anymore. Right. So it's interesting. So going back to Providence for a second, you know, you and I met in Providence and Providence is a, a scale of city that you can walk to the water. You can walk to great neighborhoods, you know, walk everywhere. You walk. It's that, it's that sort of uh, scale that you, you get in maybe a few neighborhoods in big cities, but you generally don't get much of that in, in the U S and, you get pockets of it. And that's where I've been, you know, sort of thinking the mega cities where, you know, friends who have been locked down in New York who have no access to open space are going nuts. Nuts. Same with Chicago. So it's sort of this, this idea of, okay, what are the neighborhoods that are resilient that have a scale that, that can accommodate all these crazy things that, that mother nature throws at us. And then how do we, create com- you know, commerce in that scale of a neighborhood that is resilient as well. And I think that's kind of going back to the fundamental question. We haven't even touched on that topic yet, Russ, commerce. What is commerce? You know, right. now is when I feel like all you really need is a coffee shop, a grocery store, one of those nice kind of haberdasheries that'll have like a little bit of everything, like a giant hardware store that all five and the five and dime you mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but but even like it's gotta be, it's usually a hardware store, but it also kind of morphs into a little bit of a, there was a really great one called um, Ace Hardware on Mass Ave. Yeah. It's still here. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to get to do a deal with him a couple of times. Great story in that he, he catered to the college kids, but he had everything. Like in a small space, he had a little bit of everything. And what he had was good enough for you to buy. You know what I mean? And so I think for whatever else we have, like the Amazons of the world, which, you know what? You can bitch about it. Oops. You can say whatever you want to say about it. But everybody loves it. I love it. You love it. It's easy. You pick it. It's home. It's there. And people are working, they're putting it on a shelf and they're taking it. I like the guy who drops it off. I always say, nice, stay safe. Thank you for your hard work. It's like, it's become the new mall. Sorry, yeah. because the mall was new at 1.2, right? You know, you did you watch Stranger Things? I'm sure yeah. most people watched yeah. it, right? Yeah, the last season with the oh, new mall. What amazing, what an amazing job they did capturing the popularity of the shopping mall at the time frame, it was just perfection. And you were like, okay, this makes a lot of sense now because I was here then, you know, that was my life, you know? And I worked my first job at the mall in 92 and I was 14. So think about it. That was my whole world. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, whoa. And, And I always say the shopping center is an evolving being as a society evolves, it's the, what it has become has evolved. And now I think it's on its last legs, frankly, but we'll see. Well, the evolution of commerce is a good question. I think we should put a pin in that for next week's discussion. Oh, good. But the, the, the fact that, the, you, that your restaurant friend 
is adapting to being a market serving uh, serving people he didn't think he was ever going to serve or hadn't served in his previous business model. We're having the same thing happen here in Boston. Oh, he's already talking about yeah. what's next. He has to be. He's like, I don't want to do restaurants anymore. I'm done. I want to do So I think there's this blurring of lines between what people were and what they could do. And, and, and you know, you're seeing, you know, gourmet restaurants like Alinea going to takeout service in Chicago with, you know, burgers and fries. So they're yeah. reinventing their, themselves. And those are these little examples of, of, of people that are being affected by this in the, in the restaurant industry. But it makes you start to think, how can every business reinvent themselves? They can't. They, people don't have the resources, Russ. Our American society is built on credit. Okay? We all know that. So what we need to do is figure a way, a way to create more opportunity for people to come out of this. That's what we need to do, not take it away from people, but figure out how to allow small businesses to access resources. I, I applaud the PPP. I really do. People benefited from it. People are still in business because of it, you know, and landlords have been somewhat appeased, not 100%, but it also helps the tenants give you whatever little money they may have saved as rent because they have other money that has become free to them. You know what I'm saying? So there's a balance, right? I mean, it's so complicated going back to the commerce thing, but we'll put a pin in it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, you know, this was sort of a because we're going to do this this CNU virtually this year, and we wanted to kind of sort of prime the pump for for an you online like discussion. Questions that you wanted to ask me? No, we got to one of them. What, <laughs> how do you define placemaking? I didn't even get to bring out my white fragility book. God. No, but I, I think, you know, we could clearly talk about this for a, a long time and, and it's going to change every day. the audience found it entertaining. I hope they found it entertaining. Yeah, will yeah. Will, so, there be, will there be Yelp reviews and stuff? I think so. But, cool. no, but between, now, between now and next Wednesday, you know, what should, what should people be thinking about going, going into the larger discussion we're going to have? You know, what, are, what are the sort of one or two questions you've been asking yourself that you want to kind of dig into more? We don't need to answer them today. But just you know, what should people well, be thinking about? My mind, and I hate when you ask me questions like big questions like that at the yes. end, with, off the cuff. That was not nice, Rusty. Uh, opportunity popped into my head. It's like, it, it, where is it? How are we going to find it? How are we all going to find it? Where do we find the silver lining in this mess? You know, there has to be opportunity. There has to be ways. And I'm not talking about just purely financial benefit, everybody. I'm talking about like your chance to actually. You have a voice because people need to hear an alternative voice. And I feel like this is an opportunity if you have a point of view and something strong to say that you will be listened to. So there's that. Secondly, I, I, let me think, and God, what should they be thinking about? I mean, change. Yeah, I've got, change. 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 It's it's that's the only thing that's going to happen. There yeah. has to be change. On embrace. Every you just embrace the change that's going to come. Well, right. So I think I shared this book with you. There's a, a Buddhist nun by the name of Pima Chodron, and she has a book that I bought during 2008 2009 called "When Things Fall Apart," and mm -hmm. it talks about us as a society wanting to control everything or people wanting to control everything so we feel safe 
Okay, but this falsitude, we don't control anything, obviously, right? We are all experiencing right. that right now. I just heard those sirens again, dude, by the way. There they are again. We try to control everything. But if we stop trying to control it, and if, if we took the bad feelings that we were having, and we leaned into it a little bit, and we embraced it, we suffered a little or as much as we could, and we felt bad, we allowed ourselves to feel it. And when we came out of it, which we always do, we always come out of it, that we will be enlightened because we will be proud of ourselves for making it through those bad feelings. And we will also be ready the next time it comes to try again to be kind to ourselves so that we can learn to grow and change, even through the toughest things. Because in life, things fall apart all the time. And if we can just get through it, we'll be better and be able to help others. So I know that's kind of hokey dokey, but that's kind of how I get through the tough times. No, these are tough times. I think, I think, I think reassessing that kind of stuff right now and thinking about it in that way is, is important to do right now. I've been thinking a lot about my grandfather who I haven't taught, who I haven't really thought about in a number of years. And he was part of that, the greatest generation, you know, went through world war two, was born during the depression, you know, sort of, yeah. So here's a generation that, that, went on to do incredibly meaningful things. You know, some would maybe question, you know, the Eisenhower Expressway system and, the, you know, those, the acceleration of suburbia with the GI Bill. Like, there were things that were missed out and mixed calculation, but generally, they, they came out of what was probably a period Progress. from 19... Yeah, Progress. from 1930 1945, that was still another radically transformational period. So how do we, how do we know there's going to be pain, try to help those that we can through this time period, and then hopefully come out of it all ready to, to, to build a better place for ourselves is the questions I've been asking. How about this even better, build a better place for ourselves, but be better people to be yeah. in a better place. Let us being better people be in a better place that we help create collaboratively. You know, it's starting to think on a higher level, you know, don't be so tactile. Everybody has emotions. Everybody's feeling this. That's the one thing we all know right now. It doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor. We're all experiencing it at our own level, but we are all experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so one more question just to close us out because, you know, you and I, when we, you know, uh, when we were roommates, so to speak, in Providence, uh, you know, for a, a couple of years, we always talked about how do we make Down City feel authentic? How do we make it not feel contrived, not, not feel like the mall, you know? And, and how do we get down to the core of what a place is? And I think what, you know, now it's got all about how do we make places safe? How do we make them feel like people belong when right now they don't have a community? So I think that idea of authenticity, you know, which is perhaps a, 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 a a term that's gone out of favor because everyone's kind of talked about that prior to the crisis. Like experiential. Experiential. Yeah. But yeah. Don't say As, that anymore. <laughs> yeah. We, we, it, it is, it is going to be interesting to see how you make places that people really feel like they belong. And when they go out in public again, when, when people will start to, I'm seeing it here in Boston, people are, are going out more. I mean, I went for the first time 
since March, probably March 10th, I went to a coffee shop yesterday and, and, and got a, you know, takeout croissant and, and, you know, Asher, my son. Oh yeah. With a mask on. And, you know, that yeah, is yeah, so, that's the new normal. You will but, be wearing a mask probably until August. Yeah. And, and it was one of those points where it was an important milestone for me. Cause it was like, wait, I wouldn't have done this a week ago, but now I'm feeling like I can. But then it started me thinking, okay, what else is going to change and how do we make it feel good and authentic and, and, and support a community that we want to build as people. Wipes, lots of wipes. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't even tell, you don't know yet. That's the thing. It's so, yeah. it, everything yeah. is changing. The one way at the Publix is screws me up every time. I just keep going down the wrong way. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Let, this was great. So well, I can't wait to pick up on this next week. Um, where can people find you online or, or you know, if they for want what? To find, why are they looking for me? What do they want to know? You know, I mean, the people are interested. They want to reach out to, to me. All right. I'll give them my address. It's easy. Well, or on Twitter or, uh, you know, I don't I, tweet. I know you're, 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 this is where I'm thankful. I have you as a resource to text every now and then about this crazy stuff. And I know people within new urbanism can learn so much from you. Why? So, I just, you know, I just know. Thank you, Rusty. That's very nice of you to say. I'm, I, I, I'm happy to have a voice. I don't know that I want to tweet, but. Um, All right. Well, you, <laughs> I'll figure out a way to let everyone know where they can find you. And, and yes, then maybe I, I should create a, Maybe I should create a real estate handle on Insta. Yeah, I there have, you go. I have an alternative. I can, I can rename it. All right. Send me that. And I'll All put right. it in the show now notes. That, so to now speak. that this is part of this whole conversation, let's see. I know people are going to think I'm a weirdo. Well, I'm you not. are a weirdo. That's why I love you. You know, it's sort of one of those things where freaks like us, right, Rusty? <laughs> there you go. All right, Francis. Well, this was great. I have to say, this turned out better than I thought it was going to turn out. Thanks. Rusty. That's great. All right. Well, yeah. Give my love to the family and everyone and, and stay safe. Right back at Jillian and Asher. Give them big sure. hugs and kisses from us. For sure. Love and you. we'll uh, we'll see you. I'll see you next week at CNU. Right, yes, you will. All right. Bye, Thanks, everybody. Guys.